Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. Let's walk together for a while and ask where we began to build a world where love can grow and hope can
The scripture reading this morning is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. In preparing to read, I spent time before reading the passage several times so I won't stumble over the big words. But this week, no matter how many times I read it, this morning, when I did the sound check and was reading the scripture again, an entirely new thought came to me and a meaning in the scripture. So I recommend to all of you that this week read this passage again and let God speak to you through these words. Acts 16, 16 through 34. Paul and Silas in prison. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. 
when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt and observe. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had been given, after they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushing in, he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. The word of the Lord.
Thank you, choir. Thank you, Jerry. Will you pray with me, please, the words of preparation which are printed in your bulletin? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. This is Memorial Day weekend, a time to give honor to those who have passed on to the next life, a time to visit their earthly resting places or intentionally connect with their spirits. Sometimes the grief of the loss is acute and other times it's lessened with time. But on this Memorial Day weekend, the grief that we are feeling as a national body, as a human community, is beyond acute. It's overwhelming. In the last two weeks, we have lost 32 beautiful lives to shocking gun violence, hate, and brokenness. 10 persons in Buffalo, African-American citizens of this country just grocery shopping, sickeningly gunned down by a person filled with hate and fear. One Taiwanese man with his congregation in Laguna Woods shot by someone bent on revenge. And 19 children and two teachers, mostly of Latino descent, horrifically killed this week in Ubaldi, Texas. Killed by a soul so lost that his lostness manifested in a tragedy so great that it opened up a chasm of despair that we seem to be teetering on the edge of, that is if we don't feel like we've already fallen in. There are a group of people who haven't fallen in, though. They are the parents and families and friends of students, children, and elders killed at Parkland High School, at Columbine, and especially at Sandy Hook and Mother Emanuel AME Church. They alone know what the families and parents of, the, of those killed in Buffalo and Laguna Woods and Uvalde are going through. One mother, Nelba Martinez Green, who lost her daughter, Anna Grace, at Sandy Hook, described the experience of losing one's child in this way as continually breathing in shards of glass. The initial shock is like breathing in shards of glass and then each time another shooting happens or there is some other trigger, the sharp searing pain repeats. They are reaching out and they are speaking speaking to the families and parents of the children and teachers at Robb Elementary to Buffalo and saying, I know what you are going through. I know how you feel. I have suffered what you are suffering. I am with you. And as hard as it may be to imagine in the dark and sorrowful place, the families who have just lost a loved one find themselves and now this message of solidarity and accompaniment may be some of the only news they could possibly welcome. This week, a neighbor came to the church 
looking for the address of two of our members, Ron and Ruth Parker, whom she had met on one of their walks. She had learned as they chatted that Ron and Ruth were about to have a grandniece, and she knitted a sweater and hat for the baby on its way. But she lost the address. They had mentioned their connection to Epworth, and so she came, thinking we could provide the lost information. And she was right. I gave her the information, and I invited her to sit down for a minute. At one point in our conversation, I asked her if she had a church. It's sort of my obligation. <laughs> and I let her know that she is welcome at Epworth. No, I've given up on God, she said. I don't know how an all-powerful God could allow what happened in Texas to happen. All of those children. And I told her I could, I could give her a theological reason and share with her what I believed. But I said to her, instead of doing that, I would just ask her to continue what she was doing, spreading love and care in our neighborhood and beyond. She seemed relieved with that response and asked me if I wanted a hat. I now have a beautiful gray and blue hat, a random act of kindness in the midst of a stretch of random acts of violence. I know our conversation isn't over because at the very least I need to deliver my thanks and I suspect our connection will continue. Our scripture today is from Acts, the story of Paul and Silas who have come across a woman with the ability to predict the future. She's being exploited by a group of men for her ability. And you heard this, this long story that Linda offered to us. It's a, it's a rich story with many important details. And I appreciate that Linda commended the rereading of this story to you. This woman is being exploited and these men are profiting off of her and Paul sees this and he's upset and he commands the spirit by which she's doing this to come out of her and it does. But those who are profiting from her get angry. They have Paul and Silas arrested and beaten with rods and thrown into prison. There they're put into a, an inner cell and their feet are fastened into stalks with a guard stationed outside. And what did they do? What did Paul and Silas do? Well, the scripture tells us that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns loud enough for all the other prisoners to hear them. And all of a sudden, an earthquake struck, releasing them and everyone from their shackles. And the doors to the prison are flung open wide. The guard waking up and seeing the doors open thinks that everyone has escaped and believing he will be held responsible for failing at his job of keeping those in prison, he draws his sword and is about to kill himself. But then something even more surprising happens. Instead of running out the doors while they had the chance, Paul and Silas stay and tell the guard, don't do that. We're still here. And why would they do that? Why wouldn't they flee? 
this place of darkness and violence when they had the chance. What Paul and Silas saw when they saw this guard about to kill himself was a man who was imprisoned by a wrong sense of duty, a wrong sense of reality. They saw his own lostness. They saw his fear. He had given his allegiance to warped power and control, and he had accepted some internalized message that his life wasn't worth living if he didn't have the affirmation of that warped power and control. The gospel of love and liberty that Paul and Silas were carrying, the spirit that was moving in them compelled them to stay. In short, they saw a man in need and they knew they had good news to share. And so they stayed. They didn't turn away. The parents and families of those who lost loved ones in Newtown or in Charleston at Mother Emmanuel don't have answers to questions of why or ways to completely erase the pain and hurt. But they also haven't turned away. They've stayed engaged. And while they don't have magic wands, they do have something else, something that may seem like hope. Nicole Hockley, who lost her son Dylan at Sandy Hook, was one of the parents who very quickly began to organize. She founded Sandy Hook Promise and began to organize with others to get legislation on tougher background checks for guns. And less than a year later, a bill was before Congress. In a vote that President Obama that day later called shameful, the bill was defeated. But Nicole Hockley didn't use the defeat as a reason to walk away or to stop organizing. Instead, the group took a step back and together began to research what social change takes. And one of the first things they had to come to terms with was that it was a culture and a behavior that they were trying to change, not just a, a law. And she says, of course, laws matter. Changing laws does matter. But, that, but, the, but the deeper culture of violence, the deeper culture of, of guns and, and what power means was the thing that they really felt needed and had to be addressed and that that would take a long time. Even when they knew intellectually what they were offering uh, would lead to life, what they came to terms with was that this struggle was something they were going to have to keep supporting each other emotionally to stay in. It would be long term. It would take patience and perseverance and commitment over a long time. And in investigating all avenues, they decided to take on the gun manufacturer. Every attorney they talked to told them that was a dead end. But just last week, a piece of, of news that has been eclipsed by the other bad news that we've been dealing with, just last week they were awarded a $73 million judgment against the gun manufacturer, Remington. And Hockley said, nine, for nine years, I've listened to people say, what you're doing is not possible. 
you cannot take on the gun manufacturer. And I thank God I haven't listened to them. And Hockley is clear the win isn't about the money, but in having access to the internal documents that show the process of how the gun manufacturer systematically tried to get into the heads of insecure and fearful men and put AR-15s into their hands. And for her, it's not the end, but the beginning of the next chapter to keep reaching out and care to all the children of the world and particularly all in this nation, reaching out to all of us. Chris Singleton's mother, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, was a woman of deep faith, an assistant pastor at Mother Emanuel AME Church. After she was murdered by hate while attending Bible study, her son, a minor league baseball player, threw himself into his baseball. He was trying to deal with the pain and so he just sunk deeper into the activity of what he was already engaged in. And then he became the guardian to his younger siblings and then his father died as well. He had a lot of responsibility as a young man. He had just graduated from college. But he also began to feel a growing responsibility to his mother's mantra, which was, love is stronger than hate. Never one to seek a platform before, he began to accept invitations to speak. He says, sharing his mother's story has given him a purpose greater than his pain by setting an example as a black man who lost a loved one to racism but does not hate. He hopes to change even one misguided mind, someone who thinks as his mother's killer did. Now, it's important to note that these persons didn't, didn't uh, do these things the very next day. They didn't go out the very next day after their loved ones were killed. There was grief and there was lament. And it's important for us as we feel this tremendous pain to know that even as tempting as it might be to find ways to not feel it, the tradition of lamenting of rending our garments in grief is the biblical witness in response to tragedy. But so is singing, as Paul and Silas did in prison after being arrested and beaten by a mob and shackled in a dark cell. And inexplicably, as Paul and Silas and Chris Singleton and so many others have shown so is the biblical witness in response to tragedy testifying to the light. It's significant that the writer of Acts made sure to include the point that Paul and Silas were singing and praying loudly enough for others to hear them. Friends, the world is in deep need of what you know to be true that we have a God who came to us in body, showing us that whatever we experience in body on this earth, God has experienced. The world is in deep need of the good news that you carry, 
that in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And so, dear friends, bear one another in your grief and in your pain, and know that your action in goodness, faith, and hope is desperately needed in this broken world. As Nelba Marquez Green, who lost her daughter Anna Grace, said, action is faith, action is love. Our friend Debbie Weatherspoon, Reverend Debbie Weatherspoon, who is active in Moms Demand Action East Bay and has shared with us that work, has also now shared a tentative meeting is scheduled for next weekend and we'll get confirmation of that to you as soon as we can. We know that in addition to guns, these horrific crimes were enabled by deep-seated pain and brokenness and fear. And so, my friends, continue to commit to the healing of these things in our world through your faith and sustain your faith through your community, through your prayer, through your breath, and through your action. Your actions are your prayers that are loud enough for others to hear them. And in the words of poet Jan Richardson, Hear these words. Blessed are you who bear the light in, unbear in unbearable times, who testify to its endurance amid the unendurable, who bear witness to its persistence when everything seems in shadow and in grief. Amen. There'll be joy in the morning on the day There'll be joy in the morning on that day For the daylight will dawn when the darkness is gone There'll be joy in the morning on that day There'll be peace and contentment evermore There'll be peace and contentment evermore Every heart, every voice on that day will rejoice There'll be peace and contentment evermore. There'll be love and forgiveness everywhere. There'll be love and forgiveness everywhere. And the way of the Lord will the day be restored. There'll be love and forgiveness everywhere. You've been listening podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. Draw the circle.